we are recording. Hi everyone and happy new year. And welcome to Varsity Switchboard for Lent 2021. <laughs> Christ, the year didn't even pass, I'm so tired. Hang on, hang on, compose. Welcome to Varsity Switchboard for Lent 2021. And we are your podcast producers for this term. Eliza's at home. I'm staying here in Cambridge. So we are here to give you Cambridge from home and Cambridge from Cambridge in a term where, sadly, everything has gone online. The beloved Mayball band Colonel Spanky's Love Ensemble putting it a lot better than we could. It really does feel like we ain't got no home. So we're hoping that amongst the Zoom fatigue, you can switch off and feel at home when you tune in to Switchboard. We're going to do our best to bring the Cambridge Prep queue to your listening ears. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode nine of Switchboard. <laughs> I love with each passing week, we become more uncertain. Exactly. <laughs> As to um, which episode we're on, I think just term creeps on. Which episode are we on is the question. We are on episode nine. Lucky guess from me. And yeah, welcome back to the penultimate episode of Switchboard. I hope Switchboard, like ending Switchboard, doesn't feel like as much of a relief as ending term, but that's for the listeners to decide, not for us. It's all coming together. This episode was actually inspired maybe by an impending sense of things ending. So we were sat there on our weekly call and we were all just in that frantic kind of undergrad state of mind of we have no idea what we want to do with our lives. I don't know, there seems to be a lot of stress about internships, I think the uncertainty with COVID, and we thought it'd be really nice to do an episode actually documenting the fact that a lot of students feel that way. Maybe it's kind of reassuring for us to know that everyone else is as lost as we are. We, when we spoke to Stephen Toop in our kind of second episode, there was a mention, a brief mention of the idea of like a panic masters and the idea of everyone's now looking a bit further because our lives have been a bit on hold. Everyone's looking towards master's programs, PhDs, all of that. And so we thought we'd like to shed a bit of light on what it's really like to do a master's in Cambridge, whether you did your undergrad here or not. We have Grayson, who is a current master's student who did his undergrad in Canada. Uh, And then we have Charlotte, who is currently doing her master's in children's literature at Homerton after having done her undergrad in the education tripos also at Homerton. And finally, we have Ellie, who did an undergrad in classics, then a master's in ecology and is now a PhD student and supervisor in evolutionary biology. So first off, we wanted to ask what these master's students' experiences were when they were undergrads. Were they similarly as lost as we were? I'm here with Ellie, who is a current PhD student. Um, But I actually want to go back to when you were kind of in my position and ask, did you have any idea what you wanted to do when you were an undergrad? I think it's fair to say no, not entirely. So I chose a degree based on my academic interests at sixth form like not particularly because I had like a career that I wanted to go into so growing up I'd been really into like a variety of things so acting opera radio lots of different school subjects but I always sort of saw the more like creative stuff as like a bit of a pipe dream 
So when I was choosing unis, I just went with what I was best at academically at the time, which was classics. But ultimately, I didn't want to be a classics teacher. I didn't want to be a classics academic. So when I was in my final year, I guess I started to panic a little bit. And I just decided that I needed a stable job. That was that was enough. And I went to a careers fair and I was sort of wandering around and a representative from one of the big four accountancy firms. People probably know the ones I'm talking about because you get a lot of like info and merch from them. So one of them, the representative kind of saw me wandering and my indecision and was like, hey, have you thought about tax? And I was like, okay, I'll bite. Long story short, I ended up as a graduate tax advisor and that was fine. It, I had no real passion for it, but it was okay. But like, I just kind of felt like I'm, I was sort of sitting in this job, which was not particularly exciting for me. And ever since I was little, I'd always been really fascinated in, in like nature and animal behavior. And like all the time that I wasn't, you know, in literally in my job, I was kind of writing about nature. I was out in nature. I was filming things. And I sort of thought, actually, if this is my passion, I should probably follow it. So it's a bit of a windy path because I'm now an evolutionary biology PhD student. So I guess the answer is no, I didn't know what I wanted to do. (laughs) (laughs) And now for an experience which can be described like taking the trodden path a little bit more. Here's Grayson who went from his undergrad to a master's. I'm here with Grayson who is a MPhil student at Homerton. Grayson, what do you study and how did you get to Cambridge? Well, I'm happy to be here. My name's Grayson. I'm studying public health here, which is kind of funny, I guess. Well, maybe not funny, but like coincidence with the pandemic. The two are not related. I didn't apply to public health just because of COVID, but the timing kind of coincided with that. So that's made things pretty interesting. I came from Canada before. I studied at UBC and I focused on kinesiology. I don't even know if that's a thing in Europe, to be honest, but essentially it's like physiotherapy and then also like psychology and stuff like that. Yeah. So just here for a year. Yeah. Enjoying it so far. So when you were an undergrad, did you have any inclination to do a master's or was it more of a panic master's (laughs) situation? Are you you calling me out right now? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't know. I feel like for me, like it was always, you know, I'd say like I'm kind of realistic about the master's thing where I think there's only so much, especially you can learn like within a year, like seriously, like how much are you actually going to learn in a year? And so for me, Like, for instance, my brother's doing a four-year master's right now for landscape architecture, and, like, he's going to come out, like, actually being an architect. But, like, if you're going to do a master's that's only one or two years, for me, it was more like, okay, I want to pick a place where I'm going to have an experience that's, like, beyond the course, you know, where I'm going to meet people that are able to inspire me, or I'm able to go to a school that's going to, like, help with connections or whatever it is. And so, for me, it was kind of like, yeah, I'll look into master's, but only maybe if I'm able to get to these certain places I, I, I'm applying to. So that was kind of my thought process. But yeah, a little panicky too. It's all very well to think about all the amazing kind of academic opportunities we have at Cambridge, but there's also quite a gritty logistical side to it of how do you actually get to do these masters and what are the kind of bureaucratic things that sometimes get in the way? Hi, do you want to introduce yourself? So uh, I'm Charlotte. I am a master's student studying children's literature. I did my education undergraduate here at Cambridge as well. I was at Homerton College and I'm at Homerton yet again. And yeah, that's that's me. Short, sweet. So first question, just kind of leading off what you've just said, both how did you choose to do your master's 
in in Cambridge, kind of like what you chose to do and also why you decided to stay in Homerton in Cambridge more generally? On one hand, it's a practical thing in that the children's literature department at CAM is very, very good. And I, I'm, a, I'm a creature of security. And if I, if I know that a department is good, then I want, I want to stay with them. Or, and I also knew that because I'd been lucky enough to have the opportunity to get to know some of the supervisors through doing similar papers in my undergrad, it meant that I was just able to go into my master's knowing the sort of people I'd be working with and whether or not I felt they could give me the best sort of teaching that I'd be looking for. So that's why that's why Cambridge I didn't really consider anywhere else. It was either do a master's here or not at all. In terms of Homerton, there's like a good side and a bad side to it. The good the good side is that I had such a wonderful time doing my undergrad at Homerton. I think it's a really the the, the student population of Homerton College is incredible. And I came to Cambridge from a background where I thought that I, there was no way that I'd fit in. And I met so many wonderful, brilliant, passionate people who, who just like made my time here. And uh, I think the, the Homerton did certainly have that when I came here. So that's why partially college loyalty. But I do think as well, a lack of information mm. as to whether or not certain colleges were better than mm. others. I do think that in hindsight, I probably would have applied to a different college, if only for the reason that there is a huge disparity in the amount of funding available to you at different colleges, which is in theory, not a bad thing, because in theory, everybody would know that going in and they'd be informed. But the fact of the matter is that the information does not just exist in a way that is easily accessible as to the sort of people who end up getting funding and, and the colleges that they go to. No, completely. I think it's the, a big thing and a big reason why we're doing this episode is that lack of information, the kind of, it's quite a confusing sphere to enter, right? Especially mm. if you've kind of just finished your undergrad, different people are going to different places, like it's mm. a strange world to navigate. Mm-hmm. On the kind of, on the topic of funding especially, mm-hmm. I think did you did you come in very much because you said you didn't you weren't sure college wise but in terms of the course in terms of everything like that were you prepared for the expenses of that of kind of what it would so be? yeah so I obviously knew the amount of money that would be involved I'm very very lucky in that I come from uh, Wales and the government funding available to Welsh students is so much higher than that afforded to English students there's again like the Welsh government, praise be to them on high. But the only reason I can afford to do this master's straight out of undergrad is because I am from Wales, because it does cover what I need to cover. If I were from England, there is no way, because again, the amount of funding available to English students is awful. And then we don't even talk about international students. Just a whole different that, That's It is entirely. And so like, I knew that with the bursaries that I'd been given from college, due to my household income and the work I'd done over the three summers because I knew that I wanted to do a master's Mm. so I'd been working for the past three summers in order to get enough money on top of my Welsh loan to be able to afford to do a master's just without funding luckily luckily because (laughs) the the virus meant that we didn't come back to college in my last term I didn't get to graduate but I also did not have to pay for my accommodation Uh, Uh, so that really helped yeah so that really helped but so I went in having a reasonable amount of worry in that it's expensive but because of government funding I knew that it wouldn't really matter 
if I didn't get funding from the university. I think it, it, it's difficult because the majority of people are not in that situation. And even though there's a lot of talk that goes on about access at an undergraduate level, and in terms of things like the Cambridge bursary, there are lots of hardship grants available to people. At the moment, we don't value practical skills. We value items relating to cultural capital, relating to degrees. And at the moment, it's very easy to get, it's basically impossible to get a job unless you have a degree. And so that's fine. Like there's a lot of effort being put into access and there's, don't get me wrong, there's a long way to go. But the fact of the matter is, at undergraduate, so much focus is being placed on it that a lot of time, a lot of access efforts ignore postgraduate funding and postgraduate equity because uh, every, lots of people end up getting undergraduate degrees. Brilliant, fine. Real systemic change cannot, in my opinion, feel free to disagree, be made without that postgraduate degree the people who are making decisions are the ones who can for example like no no disrespect to anybody who can do this but there are lots of people who can do multiple like emergency masters straight out of uni without really thinking about it without really planning ahead and that's fine there's nothing wrong with pursuing a master's degree but there's a disparity in relation to who has the possibility to make immediate change and climb that knowledge ladder immediately? I think the point there is the idea of, especially as we're moving as we're moving forward now, and the kind of whole definition of unis has basically been warped a little bit with mm. this virus. As kind of everyone's slightly reassessing where we're where we're at. And I remember my dad always said to me, like, "Your undergrad means nothing." My dad was like, "Your undergrad is the bare minimum." And, yeah. and if you want to get anywhere that's going to, that you, anywhere that I would want to go, he was like, you're going to need, you're going to need a master. Postgraduate degree. Yeah, this is, degree. this is the thing. And I think, I think your dad, your dad's got it. I think ultimately, because we are at Cambridge, both of us, there is that like Oxbridge golden ticket that in a way will make our, ourselves as, because we are products. Yeah, obviously. In, 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 the, in the current system oh, yeah. of education within which we're living in. And the Cambridge degree is sort of like that gold stamp of approval. Exactly. But even then, the level of competition. And also, because Cambridge comes, as I mean, I, nobody needs telling that Cambridge is disparate as both a city and a university in terms of the wealth of people who can, oh. who can afford to go there. Once you decide to do a master's, how do you decide where to go and I suppose what to specialise in? Obviously, everyone we spoke to loved Cambridge or the, the idea of Cambridge. Um, so we wanted to ask a little bit more about why they specifically chose to come here. Here's Ellie. And what, why did you come back to Cambridge? So you went to UAE. How did you get back here? Yeah, well, I guess it was a mixture of kind of practicality and and passion for Cambridge I suppose you could put it like that so my undergrad was at Cambridge I guess I knew the system I knew I liked the academic environment I was living around here because my tax job was on the business park in Cambridge so I suppose that's the practical side but the zoology department in Cambridge also just has some really incredible influential researchers that I thought it would be really amazing to work with so it was definitely a good place to come it wasn't all just practicality and did you find the career service or I guess like education advisory service did you find them helpful because I mean I guess you went I suppose off track did you find them helpful in kind of getting you to where you wanted to be once you chose to come back so the interesting thing is I didn't actually use the career service at all to make that change 
back to academia. I sort of just did that with a lot of my own research, but I did use the career service a bit during my undergrad and I found that I, I think it's improved a massive amount in the last decade, right? So I matriculated my undergrad in like 2010. So I think in, in the last decade, there's just the, the breadth of their career coverage has massively improved. When I was an undergrad, it felt like they were really great for advertising like or advising on corporate careers in big cities, but they kind of lacked other careers. And then that, that's something that really seems to have changed now that I've come back and, you know, I, I do a lot of outreach, do a lot of radio. So I'm kind of interested in looking at these more media careers. And I'm finding now that actually, you know, I've really benefited from the talks and the workshops from external people through the career service, like especially media, they have a really good program of those. So I'd like to think it's in, in, improved a lot and I have actually benefited from it. Grayson seemed pretty set on entering the world of work after his master's, and I wanted to ask him whether he'd found the career service of any use. Did you have any idea what you wanted to do before you started your master's, or have you kind of started figuring that out whilst you've been on your master's? I feel like I, I don't know, like I'm, so I'm 27 now, which is old here to be doing a master's, but not at home, it's not that old. So I'd sort of say like, I feel like I've, I had quite a few experiences like before starting this, so I already sort of had an idea of the type of work environment that I would want to be in and maybe the type of work I would want to go into. And so I think the Cambridge thing is more just opening up possible avenues and kind of like getting more ideas of specific kind of organizations or things that I would want to do. Have you used the career service at all in doing that? I feel like I've gone to so many like career things and like I've been on like career cruising, like probably like. 30 times in my life and just like you know I'm constantly like having no idea what I'm doing with my life so I feel like I'm post career help center stage <laughs> I feel like I've uh, gathered enough data I think it's more just like okay take action one of the key ways you can find out about postgraduate study is through the career service but Charlotte was really keen to emphasize that funding is a big thing that you should be thinking about there's not enough information given because ultimately it is partially luck that gets you funding, not to dis not to like dismerit anybody who's got funding because you I know so many people who've got funding and worked incredibly hard for it and are intellectually credulous and very hardworking, brilliant, brilliant people who've got that funding. But for a lot of people it's like we don't know what more we can do or what we can do to to get there and that information isn't given out. I remember the day I found out at the end of like I think it was like March-ish so after I got my offer because I got my offer uh, in January very early January so I was waiting for funding over that like big gap and there was like this slow like oh oh I'm not getting funding and I got my results and I was like oh maybe and then no and I found out that if you go to Pembroke if you get a first and you're from Pembroke then they will subsidize your master's partially I know it's and if you it's something like if you stay at Pembroke if you stay at Pembroke it's like 50% off your accommodation yes something yeah. yeah yeah which is like if you're a student from Pembroke and you're from a background that's disenfranchised and that's incredible like mm, fantastic absolutely. oh my god yeah but nobody knows and more more on top of that you're not told an undergraduate because if you are and regardless of the polling system which brings it all down to luck if more people knew, then I think Pembroke would have so many more people from uh, an undergraduate level applying for it. 
which is then complicated by the fact that a lot of people from backgrounds where you're not really expected to go into academia who might learn throughout their time at undergrad that they really love they this really course want. and this idea it, it, it's something they were uh, certainly it's not something I considered when I applied yeah. and I'll tell you what if I knew that I wanted to do a master's and I probably would have applied to Pembroke undergraduate yeah. that's, a, that's exactly what I, I I literally had this a few days ago and I was kind of like what am I doing here then I was like, why did I not know this before? A lot of people who are coming in at this point, freshers and second years, are kind of at this point where they're like, I wanted to do a master's, but now COVID has happened. Can I afford to do a master's? Who really knows? So I guess just to round everything off a little bit, what would be your kind of main point of advice for everyone who is either planning on applying next year or is kind of going into a master's next year? Okay, really good question. Unfortunately the application and funding system is very much based on luck. I'm sorry, but it's true, as is our entire education system, really. There's a lot to fix. However, the information is out there if you know where to look and you start thinking about the people you might want to talk to, be it people from the courses, from like the years above you. If you can try and talk to them, that might be useful. But it's also start working out what you want to do which is like a really jammy way of saying it but pursuing learning for learning's sake can never be a bad thing as long as you're completely in love with the thing that you want to learn and there is a community of students even if institutions don't provide you with the information that you need there is a community of truly caring and loyal students your peers who will help you through it it's a very nuanced situation access is murky at the best of times even more so at postgrad level the best way to get into a master's course is believing that you are a wholly competent and capable being who is good at what you do because ultimately we are all quite good at what we do. Yeah, wholly we are, we are quite good at what we do and I think if at this point you're thinking you're, you're in the middle of doing your subject and you had a similar thing as the two of us and you're kind of, you see a paper, you know there's a master's in that and that thought kind of makes you makes you really excited and brings you a lot of joy, then maybe the beauty of this time, if you're a first or a second year, is that you can start thinking about it. You have the time to do your research properly. And if it's a, if it's a case of interrogating people, interrogate people, ask your college, mm. ask, ask other people in the years above, ask anyone you know to kind of be upfront about things and hopefully they will be as much as they can. So you can get that information. Exactly. That and make an informed choice. And make an informed choice. Exactly. Following Charlotte's wise words, I admitted to Grayson that the Switchboard team really didn't feel like we were making informed choices. The whole point of this episode, it kind of came about when the whole team was sat there planning and we were all just there like, we have no idea what we want to do with our lives. Oh God, Jeez. You know, We're kind of undergrads, we're living in this hectic yeah. reality where we're not really committing to our degree or any of the extracurriculars we're doing because we're just like so in the stretch across all of it be your advice to people who sat there going oh god what i want oh man i like (laughs) oh man i mean i firstly like like i i'm hesitant to ever give advice just because like everyone's life is so like context specific and personal to them you know, so maybe just like breathe a little bit more and be patient. But like, I feel like my answer to this has kind of changed over time. If you asked me this maybe a few years ago, I'd be like, oh, you should just get involved in as many things as you can and like meet as many people as you can and like just do all that stuff, like just take it all in, like that kind of answer. 
but I've realized that I think that's more of like a me thing. And I don't know if it's so appropriate for everyone. And I think that it really depends on your personality. And if you're, if you are a little bit more, more sure about like, you really want to become, you really want to work for like NASA or, or like whatever, like something really specific, then for those people, I'd just be like, yeah, put your head down and don't get distracted and like do your thing. But my thought process would be like, I feel like undergrad is like, I feel like a feeling I get here is like, it seems like a lot of people are trying to rush through and then have a lot of stress, especially at Cambridge to like get into their career and do something really awesome and really sick, but then also something really like serious. And I think that my, my thought process would be kind of like, if you're the type of person that has any feeling that maybe I want to do other stuff that's completely not related to the potential field I want to go into in the future, like you need to do those things like now, you know, because that's going to be way harder to do and like way less admirable and all that kind of stuff when you're like, you know, post masters in like an actual career. It's not going to be cool to then be like, you know what, I want to try like acting a little bit. Like I want to try to like, or like do like a lot of people would reach like, you know, 45 years old in their career and then just be like, I never, I don't know. I never did anything cool. I never did anything I wanted to try doing. So mm. I don't know. I would, I would identify those kind of things because there's plenty of time to be serious and have a career and do that. And, you, and you're going to kill it. You're already at Cambridge. Like you're going to be fine. So that, that's what I would, uh, that's what I would say. Well, that feels like a, a word of advice for, for me and for everyone, because we were kind of sat there, like, feel like we've just been throwing our time into all of these different kind of activities with no direction, but maybe you're saying just keep doing the range of stuff, see what comes of it, I guess, see what you enjoy. Okay. Another thing I'd say is it is important to maintain like a narrative of your life, I'd say, you know, mm. but it doesn't have to be if you are the type of person that loves to do so many different things and be involved in a ton of stuff, which isn't everyone, by the way, but it's quite a lot of people, then you can do that. But I would, I think it's important to maintain at least some sort of narrative that makes sense for people, you know, to, cause to go from something and then jump to something totally different is it's okay if you can kind of explain it and like, what, what was I thinking at that moment? And, what brought me to that decision and things like that. And so I think like maintaining kind of a theme of your interests is a good thing, but you can definitely be loose in that regard. And, and ever so often you can have a job that's just completely unrelated, but no one's going to ever notice like a three month period in your life where, you know, you want it to be some like party planner for international students and it has nothing to do with like what you actually do now. But yeah, I don't know. Think about that narrative. And on that note of following your passions, but still managing to construct a narrative, here's Ellie with some advice for current undergraduates about how maybe it's okay to step off the trodden path. So for current undergrads who are kind of in a position where maybe they've dabbled in the career service, maybe they thought about a master's, what would you advise them to do? I'd say firstly, don't panic, because even if you do what I did, which is, you know, you go into a job that you don't particularly love, but pays okay for a couple of years, you've lost two years. When you're 21, that feels like a huge amount of time. I was like convinced that I was like super old after, you know, in inverted commas, wasting two years. But it is always something you could do. You could just sort of go into a job that you know that you can get out of just to earn some money for a couple of years. I'm not saying it's the best thing. It wasn't the best years of my life, but it's not the end of the world. I'd also say with the career service, 
just really look around at their talks from external people because they have people come in who know all the industries and a lot of them are just really happy to talk to you even outside the specific talk that they're doing. I think the career service also have a, a system where you can kind of search for particular like alumni in particular fields. Mm. That's another really good way because essentially if people have put themselves on that list, they're happy to be contacted. And it's not just good for information, it's also good for connections. So I'd say, I guess, firstly, don't panic. Secondly, use what's available to you. I want to say like a huge thank you to all three of them for kind of relieving some of my, I suppose you call it future anxiety. I mean, mm, there's like... Yeah, yeah. It starts creeping up now, but you just know it's going to get You worse. know what the best thing is, though? Like, there's two sides to... Like, anxiety can also be excitement. So try and see it as excitement for f- future opportunities and... and obviously temper that with some research as we've like heard about today but I think it's not going to be a cause for panic like one of the things that Ellie kept saying is just don't panic just use the resources available to you you'll work it out yeah I also think now that this is something that a lot of your peers are going to be going through this is something that everyone's going to have on the brain somewhere even if it was never Mm. there before so get in conversations with people whether they be master students or people are in your own year and figure out where everyone's at because everyone's kind of in the Mm -hmm. same boat yeah all on our different courses so maybe not all following what we think should be the trodden path but you know if you're doing Mm. what you enjoy and and you're you're feeling like you've got access to the services you need to do that then you're on the right path for you and however cheesy that may sound (laughs) that's that's yeah that's 100 percent what matters it's our last episode next week I know we couldn't remember what episode we were on at the beginning, but you know now we re- now we've realised. Now we realise next week is our last episode, and we are going to be talking about kind of reflections, like from our perspective, reflecting on the this whole year, and most importantly, this term that we've had with Switchboard, kind of looking through everything we've talked about. So we'd love to hear from you about what your experiences has been with this crazy online term whether kind of switchboard has helped you realize some things or maybe even just have a friendly kind of ear to speak to listen to and yeah just kind of reflect over the last year and a bit that we've had and also it serves as a really nice kind of I hesitate to say time capsule of how strange of like an experience we've all had over the last year and especially now that we're seeing restrictions begin to ease and we have a vaccine. It's it's nice to document, I guess, a reflection on what has been a challenging time, but also everyone's optimism in whatever varying degrees that may be, but optimism nonetheless for the future. To finish the show this week, we are diving into the choral tradition for which Cambridge is so famous. Lucy Walker is a postgraduate student of music at Gonville and Keys College and is a choral composer. Her piece, Correspondences, is performed by members of the Gonville and Keys Chapel Choir. This is Correspondences by Lucy Walker.